1: Cats at night. Now, here's John Katsimatidis. This is John Katsimatidis, and I understand we have... Breaking news, WABC. And calling into us straight from Qatar, or is it Qatar, is Tony Carbonetti, one of our uh, companions here. Tony, what the heck is going on? What the heck is going on? We're having a great time here, John. Uh, and I understand I you, uh, the United States has beat Iran 1-0 to zero in one the World zero. Cup. 1-0. It was a phenomenal
0: match. We advanced. now. They tried playing defense early in the game, and we, we broke through, and we held on, John. It was really tough. We got Are these guys going to
1: – they can't go back to their country? Are they going to ask for asylum?
0: <laughs> oh, I don't know if they're asking for asylum. So maybe we'll take them back in the States for letting us win. Who knows? <sighs>
1: Well, Tony Carbonetti, are you enjoying I'm the
0: best time out here?
1: Are you, so you're having a good time. In, is it Qatar or Qatar? Qatar. All right. It's, it's okay.
0: Qatar. Everyone is having a great time. We, I saw Argentina, Mexico. I went to Brazil, Serbia, U.S., England. The streets are filled with people from many countries, and everyone's having a great time. That's what this is supposed to be about.
1: Well, Tony Carbonetti, thank you for calling in all the way for a long-distance call from Qatar, or Qatar, and uh, we'll catch up with you again real soon. Thank you for the update. You got it. Thanks, John. Wow. And uh, this is John Katzmatidis. This is Katz at Night, and... uh, uh, well, we had the breaking news. I had to get Tony Carbonetti. Tony was uh, chief of staff to Rudy Giuliani, and and he's one of our associates here at the Five O'clock News. Uh, and in the studio with us, Richard Weinberg, a Common Sense Democrat, and Judge Richard Weinberg, and and Craig Eaton, uh, was it ten years GOP chairman of uh, Brooklyn? Yes, sir. And. Uh, Lydia Saranai. Lydia,
2: we who have do a great we have? we have a guest on the line with us right now. She is an, an innovator, she's a champion for freedom. I love this description of her. She's also the former Secretary of Education under the Trump administration, Betsy DeVos. Her latest book, Hostages No More, already a national bestseller. Welcome to Cats at Night, Betsy DeVos.
1: Thanks. It's great to be with you. Uh, uh, Betsy John Katz uh our education in exactly. our country, a lot of people are concerned. Our country is, seems like we're, we're, we're falling back from the rest of the world. I mean, our kids are, are, are falling yeah. back in math. They're falling back in, uh, in science. Where, where is our kids in the United States compared to the rest of the world?
3: Well, John, even before the pandemic, we were seeing declines all across the board for many years in kids' achievement levels. And with all of the extended lockdowns and all of the nonsense during the last two years, uh, the, the scores for our kids have continued to plummet. We don't rank in the top 10 in any subject area in the world. In fact, we are 13th in reading, 18th in science, and 37th in math in the world. And this is just not sustainable. Our country cannot be an economic powerhouse and competitive in the future if all of our kids aren't contributing and being prepared to be uh, you know be adults that have uh, something to offer and something to add and what has to happen is the policies supporting education need to change completely from to systems and sending money to systems and buildings to sending money attaching it to kids and letting families decide
4: where their kids can best learn. Uh, Madam Secretary, it's Judge Richard Weinberg. You're very well known for criticizing the critical race theory. Could you explain to our listeners the dangers of uh, that ideological agenda?
3: Well, we've seen agendas, uh, uh, curriculum like critical race theory, and more recently, uh, all kinds of hypersexualization with young children, and all kinds of uh, curriculums that families have been had the front row seat to while kids were learning at a distance, and it's awakened so many parents in this country to what has actually been going on for a long time in the schools, and what it's doing is uh, helping to give embolden them to demand change, to, to demand opportunities to go elsewhere, these are, these you know, instead of uh, helping kids learn the basics about what they need to know, wh- whether it's to read well, to communicate well, to write well, to do math well, uh, they're, they have social agendas that are trying to, you know, Im- impose um, an ideology on kids that is antithetical to many, many families in this country.
4: And it's divisive, too. The kids are being separated out by uh, identity politics.
3: Absolutely. Absolutely, they are. And, uh, you know, we've heard all kinds of excuses about the lack of achievement and uh, the lack of outcomes for kids on the part of the system, on the part of the school unions that uh, are basically a monopoly and control all of the funds and control, you know, they are bent on control and focused on adult issues and adult uh, desires, not on what's right for kids. And we've seen this uh, ever more in the last couple of years. If there is a silver lining to COVID, it is that, families and and uh, neighbors and relatives and grandparents have awakened to what has really been going on in the K-12 years, and they are ready for change, and they're demanding change. We're seeing it in states across the country, and, uh, you know, you've seen many students right in New York City leaving their assigned schools when their families have opportunities because They have the means to make another choice. They're making those choices, and uh, we need to continue to empower all families to do that.
1: Uh, Madam Secretary, the question uh, a lot of Americans, a few of them have just texted me. Did this happen in the last five years, 10 years, 20 years? When did all of a sudden we wake up and our kids are really falling behind?
3: (laughs) Well, they've been falling behind for quite some time, particularly the kids at the bottom end of the spectrum. So, you know, the Department of Education, the Federal Department of Education was formed in 1979. It was a payoff. Jimmy Carter made a promise to the teachers unions, to the NEA and the AFT when he ran for president in 1976 to develop and form a, a Federal Department of Education. It was with the express goal or purpose of closing the achievement gap between the top performers and the bottom performers. We've spent over a trillion dollars since then at the federal level alone. And not only have those achievement gaps not narrowed one little bit, by most measures, they've actually widened. And so we need to really ask ourselves, can we and should we keep doing the same thing over and over again with more and more money and expect that it's going to do better for kids? Absolutely not. And uh, so this has been coming on for more than a couple of decades. And uh, and and the pandemic has really brought things into focus in a way that that they never were before.
5: You know, Madam Secretary, this is Craig Eaton. The system here in New York City is broken as well. And and I saw an article recently about these rubber rooms that they have where you have up to fifteen hundred teachers from the Department of Education who are brought up on misconduct charges that are just put in a room, and they come in every day, and they get paid. And one of the teachers got $1.7 million over 20 years and hadn't stepped in a classroom in those 20 years because of these misconduct allegations. I mean, something needs to be done with throwing money out the window, money that can be used to increase our programs, to hire more teachers, because we need to help these children.
3: Yep, absolutely. We spend, on average, $14,000 $14,000 per child in this country for their K-12 education, it's more than $750 billion in a year. Now, New York City spends more, other places spend less, but imagine metaphorically if you attached that $14,000 to every child's backpack and allowed their families, their parents to be able to direct and decide where their child was going to learn best. There's nobody that loves a child better than more or better than their parents parents. parents and knows that child better and what that child needs. Uh, We need to support policies, and states are starting to do this, and the momentum has been building, particularly in the last year and a half, around the policies that are going to support those decisions, education freedom, what will result is better for great teachers, it's better for kids, it's better for families across the board.
2: Again, we are speaking with former Secretary of Education Betsy DeVos. Craig Eaton's question brings me to another question Mike Pompeo. He said that uh, Randi Weingarten, the head of the American Federation of Teachers Union, that she's the most uh, what is she? what most is most dangerous most dangerous individual in the world. What do you think?
3: Well, she has been the one that has been the biggest defender of what the union, the school unions, have done. In the last couple of years, make no mistake about it. It was the unions and all of their allies that kept schools shut down longer. That uh, colluded with the the CDC to, um, you know, enforce uh, mask mandates and things that were not necessarily necessary. They they politicized the entire thing. They kept kids out of school months longer than they needed to be, and they are the ones that are to blame for the dramatic drop. In uh, kids' achievement levels and the significant rise in mental health issues. I mean, all of these kids that have been that were stuck at home for all of that time, um, they they are the ones that have suffered. But it goes right back to the teachers' unions and all of their allies. And Ms. Weingarten is right at the center of that all.
1: Uh, one more question before we have to take a break. And you know, you you did a wonderful job in Washington. Um, the universities, we have a lot of problems in the universities,
3: don't we? Well, first of all, a lot of kids going or young people going into university go in unprepared because their K-12 years have not prepared them for college work and college education. Uh, you know, nearly half of students entering college have to take remedial courses for some, some uh, you know, subject area or another. Uh, that is just, uh, you know, unsustainable, again, long term. Also, the cost of higher education continues to skyrocket. There is no real governor on uh, or accountability around the value for the cost. And, um, again, the pandemic has really exposed a lot of this. And, rightfully, a lot of young people and their families are Taking a second look at the value of a four-year education at you know a v- variety of institutions, it, it is time for more innovation in the K twelve in in the higher education space. Just as there is uh, time for more innovation in K
1: twelve, we got a few seconds after you. Anything you want to tell the American people? We'd we'd love to have you back again because you you know you're you're telling the truth to the American people.
3: Well, I, I thanks for the opportunity, and I just uh, encourage anyone who is interested in what they can do to advocate for their kids or their grandkids, uh, get my messages no more. We, it, it lays out a path forward where we need to go and what we need to do to make sure all kids have an equal opportunity to get a great education and prepare themselves for a great future.
2: Thank you so much, Betsy DeVos, for all that you do, especially for our children. Thank you.
1: And uh, we'll we'll, tra- me. we'll talk to you again real soon, Chris. Uh, this is our, our, you know our future of America is, depends on our kids, and thank you so much.
2: Surely does. Thanks.
6: It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network.
2: Welcome back to the John Katzmatidis, Cats at Night show. And in studio, of course, we have John Katzmatidis, Judge Weinberg, Craig Eaton, and myself, Lydia Serrani, on the line with us right now. We have Charlie Gasparino. He's, of course, a, a great panelist on Fox Business, also Fox News. We just saw you, Charlie, a journalist. If there's anything to know about what's going on in the economy, in the finance world, Charlie's your guy. Welcome back to Cats at, at Tra- Night.
1: Charlie, can Can Elon Musk afford to buy Apple?
6: <laughs> <laughs> no, he can barely afford twitter i mean that's <laughs> that's what we're learning here i mean it's the, remember the currency of twitter is his depreciating stock price on tesla and uh and a ton of debt too by the way which is not a good good sign i'll tell you if, if it wasn't for him owning it and you know he does have a little bit of a piggy bank i know it's it, it's a depleting piggy bank with the markets but it's still there and it's still in the billions um this company is like a perfect company to, for bankruptcy uh, I mean, it's loaded with debt. It reminds me of those, John, you remember this. Remember the LBO craze back in the late late 80s, early 90s, all these companies that were bought by these Mike takeover Milken, guys? Mike Milken, again,
1: you're going to talk about? Well, it wasn't
6: just Mike Milken. It was a lot of people. Milken just provided, and it wasn't just him, Drexel. It was others. They provided yes. financing for this
1: stuff. I remember those days. Mike Milken made a lot of those guys wealthy.
6: And he also made and created a lot of great businesses in, in in his defense I mean I think he is a my, my view is uh, he is net net one of the great financiers of all time but in in any event the L, there were there were excesses of that of that era, and those excesses led to bankruptcies because people borrowed a lot against businesses that were not you know they, they were they were they were difficult to run and uh, Twitter is classic in that sense, and here's where it's really classic. There's really, like, if, if Twitter got, go, goes under tomorrow, right, let's just say Elon pulls the plug, what assets are left at Twitter? There's no assets. It's literally a platform to scream at people, each other. I mean, it's like if, if, if AMC Theaters, you know, I cover this, it's, you know, money losing theater chain. If they go under, uh, theoretically, you could sell the real estate to whomever, right? Uh, there's, there's actually a hard asset there.
1: Um, it's a hard asset, but uh, <laughs> everybody uh, tunes it in on their television sets these days.
6: Right. But at least I'm saying that the, the property is a hard asset.
1: The real estate is. The hard. real estate. So yes, but you, you're, running, you're running something. out of people to buy uh, those hard assets. No, I know that. But there, but at least there's something there yes. that could
6: be sold. Maybe you, know, you can create... You know, a nationwide chain of ice cream parlors. I don't know. You know, for, 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 you could get creative.
5: Yeah, there's some brick and mortar there, there as opposed to, there. As there is, to just having
6: the, subscriptions. What is the brick and mortar on any of these things? Whether it's the FTX exchange that this idiot kid, Sam Bankman-Fried, created and is now it took people's money and who knows, maybe stole it. Well,
1: what is it on Facebook? You had It was worth $800 billion at one time.
6: Great point. I don't know. Theoretically, it's technology that allows you to siphon, user data, and sell that sell that uh, elsewhere. But that's you know, when things go under, I mean, that technology is it really that valuable? Is it can it not be created? It, 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 then it becomes like so. What do you get if Twitter goes under?
1: What you get, Charlie, well, Richard? You, well, let me let me just say we talked about Facebook. Twitter was the most mismanaged company I have ever, ever, ever seen. That's true. They didn't have a clue. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I am opposite. You know, me and you are opposite sometimes. Right. I, I think Elon Musk, if he keeps his sanity, uh, and tw- to, to, to double and triple his investment in, in okay, Twitter, but, but, maybe. But, but, but,
4: gentlemen, maybe. more, more importantly, if Twitter goes under because of uh, the shakedown by, by Apple, that means you're going to have censorship in this country and big tech.
2: Well, Apple is threatening to remove Twitter from its that's platform. Exactly right. And according to Lee, Elon Musk, he tweeted out, "What do they hate free speech because they're also decreasing their ads on well, there? The, Charlie, what do you
4: think about that? Twitter I mean,
2: just, does what I mean, listen, to- This
6: story is so multifaceted, right? It's a financial story. I told, as I've been saying, he way overpaid for a product that... You know, has limited, in in many ways, limited usefulness, and and uh, but it it is important product for for the dissemination of news, uh, and the other part of the story is the political one. The Biden administration hates the fact that a semi-conservative has this popular platform, and now you got these lefty tech companies coming in and putting political pressure on top of it, you know, it really is, it's, it's actually kind of scary if you think about it, like, and it really feeds into the notion that, um, that there is an evil cabal, and I don't try to be a conspiracy theorist, between the big government types in the Biden administration and these big companies, whether it's big tech or big wall street to essentially brainwash the co- country into progressivism and it's it's mm-hmm. scary and it and you know I try not to engage so that's those that's why we have
1: to support Musk. Yeah. That's it Charlie you just you just said the magic words. It is scary that they're trying to go into this progressivism whether it's Google well, it's forced, or whether it's Apple. It's yeah. forced. Listen, I don't
6: begrudge someone for being a progressive. Now, if you want to believe in the critical race theory, go for it. When you have government edict and indoctrination into these sort of things, when you're telling kids, when you start preparing kids for to be transgender when they're three, as it's something normal where you know, I know, that's a political movement that's going on in the schools by radical progressive activists. Um, you know, that's where this thing gets scary. And if government is in concert with big business... To promote this stuff—that's the definition of tyranny. That's yeah. tyranny, and that's fascism. Okay, and it's the beginning fascism.
1: of the end. The Let me give you guys. a why—that's
6: why, that's why John Katzavitis is so important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What that's I love right. about John is he puts—he gives people second chances all the time because he—and his people—I don't agree with a lot of times—but he at least wants to hear their point of view. He thinks they're interesting. That is the basis. That, that's what Elon is trying to do here.
5: But Charlie, you were talking about value. And, and you know right. what? That fear alone by Biden and everyone else in the administration, that's got significant value alone
6: for Twitter. Maybe. Maybe. That's a good point. That's a good point. It's, it's harder to measure than bricks and mortar. Yeah, yeah. It's It's the fact that, you know, a lot of people care about it, even though there's a lot of Bots and fake accounts, you take them out. It's still kind and, of a public square.
1: But it's a platform. And, and don't it's forget that General Motors is almost a subsidiary of Washington. Yeah. Mm. And what they're doing, to uh, going forward and committing, oh, we're going to go, uh, the, the president wants all electric cars by 2030, 2035. And they're betting the ranch. Mm. And They're maybe, betting the entire ranch on becoming yeah. electric, and and, and you know that and, and thats another bankruptcy to happen.
6: And by the way, think about how how crazy—even Elon, who's the, the king of electric cars, how stupid it is. Because these things it, it's are hard to mass market. There, there's, there, there's going to be there needs to be technological advancements for it to really be mass marketed. It, it, you pollute the, the environment like crazy creating an electric battery. I mean this there's so many this, there's so much stuff here that we're not we 're not sort of discussing because of censorship and that 's what I think Elon brings to the table and maybe i 'm just too old to understand the notion that you can 't put a number on free speech maybe where i 'm underestimating the value of free speech. And what it means, which is why the Biden administration well, is freaking out right now. If and Apple, is if Apple
1: and Google try to bring down Musk and, and Twitter, that that is a that is a national security problem. It's a national problem. It's a, it, it, it's a problem for democracy.
6: Yeah, I mean, if that's going on, the Republicans in Congress should you know to, to, you know essentially detour from Hunter Biden which I'm not saying that's a bad thing to investigate but investigate this yeah. this is this is this is like the road to
5: serve
2: I'm going to give you guys a scary statistic. Guess what percentage of Apple's donations are to the Democratic Party? 95%. 97.5%.
1: That's scary. Must that's be scary. a coincidence. And, 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 Apple, and Apple is going to be doing, I hate to say it, mm-hmm. China's doing, mm-hmm. because they're depending on China. Yeah, think about the, mm-hmm. uh, this is where it gets scary. Like all Connecting these
2: big
6: companies, the whether it's the major banks, mm-hmm. Major asset managers, major tech players, they have business dealings with our enemies that they want to placate. You know, um, they have, they they rely on big government to hand them stuff. They are they're 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 brainwashed into believing progressivism is the way yeah. to go. Let me,
4: let me tell Charlie. Let me tell you about this one. There's a new rule coming out of the United States Department of Labor with respect to the ESG. Investing. Do you know about that rule?
6: I don't know. I know. Oh, well, okay. oh, yeah, that's the rule that is essentially pushing it on pension plans. Yeah, right.
4: So yeah. in other words, the the Massachusetts rule says that a fiduciary has to invest uh, with minimizing risk and bring back returns. They now, the Biden administration now give cover to invest in all these harebrained Green New Deal investments. And yeah. if they lose money, who's going to take the fall? The it's people, crazy. the beneficiaries of the pension? And who's going to pick it up? The government?
6: Listen, this is why the midterms were so important. And, you know, I hate to say it. Donald Trump is making this happen because he's diverting attention away from people who who will not go crazy town and who can win independent voters and and, and convince them that the way that how just how bad progressivism is. I mean, think about how bad progressivism is. It's destroying inner cities. Mm-hmm. it 's depriving inner city minority kids and poor white kids of an education because of because they 're against school choice that that 's a given it's it 's allowing homeless People who are crazy to walk around on the streets because the ACLU says says locking them up and giving them medicine and taking them off the streets violates their rights. It's teaching kids CRT. It's teaching kids that they sh- at three years old that maybe they might a boy might be a girl and a girl might be a boy if you're feeling that way. But today. you
5: know what, Charlie? You know what it's doing worse. The movement is forcing the middle of the road Democrats further left out of fear that they're gonna be running candidates against them. The yeah,
2: I and that's destroying that's the
5: destroying. I,
6: I doubt that's the case. Mm. I think what I think if you I think people are afraid of Crazy Town.
1: Yeah, but look and at I mean, AOC. Look at what AOC because did because of the here. We're, we're out of time guys. Charlie, we agree hundred and ten percent together. May democracy win. Thank you so much for Anytime, coming. On. John, thank you.
7: Thank you. Thank you guys.
1: Wow. Uh, That was uh, some interview.
6: This is Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network.
2: Welcome back to the John Katzmatini's Cats at Night show. And now, Craig Eaton, you want to make the next introduction? Now
5: I have a longtime friend of mine, a distinguished trial lawyer from my hometown of Brooklyn. And now the chief of staff for another good friend of mine, Mayor Eric Adams, who's and and Frank is going to be leaving as the chief of staff on January 1st. Frank, welcome back to Cats at Night. Give us a little of the history of what you've accomplished and what you're looking forward to do after this.
0: Oh, thank you so much, Craig. And great to be on again. So, you know, it's interesting. I recently had a a breakfast with the mayor um, and I, I, I said to him, you know, I don't know what idea you had in your head asking me to, you know, to do this job, but I've been irrevocably changed since, since I started. It's been an incredible privilege to serve uh, the city of New York, the city that we all love so much. And I, I just has been an incredible experience and I'll never be the same. And when, with that day, I, I, I never forget the day he asked me to uh, undertake um, this responsibility. We were actually at a Met game right after the primary. And I told them I could give them the six months of transition. And of course, a year um, away from my family and, and, uh, and law practice and otherwise career. And sure, I was just telling some friends recently, I had a chance to see my daughter for uh, Thanksgiving I didn't see in six months. So it's been quite an incredible experience uh, this past year and a half. And one of the things I set out to do in that time timeframe um, was to first and foremost, build the team and build the team in the time frame I had. Cause I, I, I knew that um, we had an early primary, which was something that was uh, the first time uh, done in a mayoral election. So did not use the time wisely from June to December. Of course we had a general, but we felt pretty confident of our chances in the general. So we, we said, let's use this time incredibly wisely. And if not, it will be quite, a, quite irresponsible to not enter uh, City Hall on January 1, not completely prepared. So in order to do that, obviously, the first step is build a really uh, a really great team. And The mayor um, was very clear he wanted the absolute best, uh, obviously, with an eye towards diversity. and he, he thought if we really put our, our minds together, we'll find the most diverse, experienced, uh, emotionally intelligent team we could possibly um, um, staff City Hall with. And I
6: think we've done that.
2: Absolutely. Um, Frank Caron, I wanted to switch because we don't have a lot of time. So, Frank Caron, we wanted to applaud, actually, Mayor Adams for his incredible initiative today, where he announced that in an effort to combat the mental health crisis that is plaguing this city, he's issued a directive that would allow emergency responders to transport a mentally ill person to a hospital, even if they don't want the help because they're incapable of asking for the help. Take a listen to what the mayor said. Just a snippet here.
4: My administration is determined to do more to assist people with mental illness, especially those with untreated psychotic disorders, who pose a risk of harm to themselves, even if they are not an imminent threat to the public. Frank, it's, uh, it's Richard Weinberg. I have to tell you, I think that's a great initiative because as you know, and you and I have talked about in the past, the linkage between drug addiction, mental health, homelessness, and criminal activity, it all goes together, and this has to be faced down and dealt with. So the mayor is to be congratulated. Could you explain what this new policy is?
0: Yes, uh, thank you for that, Richard. And, I, and I'm very proud of the mayor for uh, st- being steadfast in, in, in this initiative, and, and this has been on his radar from the campaign and and throughout. I mean, recently we've read stats where a large percentage of the major crimes in the subway committed by those with serious mental illness. So it's clear to anyone who was in the street that we have a crisis on our hands. And we've had teams on the subway throughout the night just watching, learning, and anyone who's out there knows that we have a severe uh, crisis with untreated mental illness who live out in the open, on the streets, in our subways, in danger and in need. You know, all these New Yorkers and hundreds like them, you know, in urgent need of treatment, often refuse it when it's offered. So today, what the mayor is saying that it's not acceptable for us to walk past someone who clearly needs help and continue to walk past as if they don't exist and pretend there's dignity in allowing those to be on the streets who can't care for themselves. It's a common misunderstanding, Richard, that, that uh, we cannot provide involuntary assistance unless the person is violent or preventing a risk of harm to themselves or others. And what the mayor did today with his order is make clear to outreach workers, if severe mental illness is causing someone uh, to be unsheltered, to be uh, without a shirt, to without shoes, a danger to themselves, we as a city have a moral obligation to help them get the treatment and care they need. And we began today training our workers to do just that.
2: Right. And they're expanding Kendra's law because in that statute, right, if you're in, have an inability to take care of yourself and I hate, I'm going to compare now Mayor Adams to like Mother Teresa. I mean, this is what Mother Teresa did in India, not compare. But you know what I'm saying? She said she would literally help people on the side of the road and drag them to get help because it's inhumane. It's, it's morally reprehensible to allow somebody to decompose and to slowly commit suicide on the streets. And yet I'm already looking on Twitter and I'm seeing people saying, oh, so instead of stop and frisk, it's stop and commit and the ACLU, yeah. and they're calling him a fascist. And it's like, how is it humane to allow somebody to just die there? But you like know, you know, These people, have, yeah. they're not capable of asking for help. It's good it, because
5: it, it's humanity. It also reduces crime. It reduces It's also a public health, a mental health. Mental a public health, health. issue. So, so it, it covers a lot of different but areas. In diseases. In one, in
4: one Communicable diseases yeah. are spread. You look what's in going on crime. in San Francisco, for Frank, example. Frank Carone,
2: Frank Carone, what do you say to people that are now critical? criticizing Mayor Adams for this initiative?
0: <laughs> we First of all, we don't pay any attention to the noise <laughs> whatsoever.
6: Right.
0: And, and, and we really don't. And, I, you know, the, just like the mayor said when we came up with our encampment policy, there's no dignity for those to live on the street. He's saying today that we're going to, there's no dignity for those who, who, who uh, exhibiting severe mental illness, a danger to themselves and others. And we're going to pursue legislation that does a number of things. But perhaps really most importantly, uh, that when a person enters a hospital in crisis and gets discharged prematurely, that their current behavior is uh, no law, and their current behavior is no longer alarming um, as it was when they were admitted. That the law will then allow hospital eva- evaluators to consider just how the person was acting at the moment, but also their treatment history, their recent behavior, and whether they adhere to the outpatient outpatient treatment. We're going to expand. The list of factors that a medical professional could look at when determining if the person is a danger to themselves or others, and we believe it's the morally the right thing to do. Uh,
1: f- a Frank, around John Uh The hey, John. Uh, good. Uh, the last question, because you know, uh, you know how much we all love our city, and uh, right now, between uh, interest rates on new construction going up to eight nine percent, uh, Frank. And uh, uh, no 421A, in, in other words, ta- tax abatements or any tax incentives for uh, construction. Construction over the next 12 months is going to start to come to a halt. It affects everybody. It affects uh, uh, the construction workers. It affects uh, the real estate industry. It affects a- what what do you think? Is there any going to be any sanity in Albany? And uh, and it's also the crime situation. So you got crime, interest rates, and no tax incentives. Uh, that's the most important question I think we've asked today so far. You know,
7: John, it's, a,
0: it's a, a a great question, and you know, I don't necessarily have all the answers to that. I mean, one of the things that we try to do and do as do well as we can is is really. You know, regulate and legislate those things that are in our span of control. In this case, we will need Albany's uh, Albany's help, of course. And I think that I think yes, I think it's going to get to the attention it needs. I think it's not a secret that with creeping interest rates, inflation, and of course uh, the current structure. Um, and the fact that we have a budget crisis on our hands, we're going to need you know, those, those really good-paying workers to, to have those jobs. And we, we have to build if we're going to get out of affordable housing. We have to build if we're going to invest in the infrastructure for our kids in this great city. So that's the answer, and we're going to do whatever we can that, to illuminate that to the legislature and those that are um, interested in listening. But at the end of the day, uh, we can't do that on our own. We're going to need our partners in government. And I think we're going to find, uh, hopefully, a favorable you know a favorable voice when we get
5: there Well well Frank thank you so much for joining us today thank you for all you've done for the city and we wish you best of luck on your new venture
0: Well thank you all and I hope you guys still invite me after January
8: Yes we're we, always yes, invited we will All
1: right thank you guys Thank
2: you and uh, now uh, on the
1: line we have We have
2: the Goya CEO uh, Bob Yunanway Goya Cares this is great initiative helping people around the world welcome back to Cats at night
1: Thank you,
7: Lydia and John, and all. Uh, God bless you all. Happy Thanksgiving. I hope you had a great time with uh, families and, and friends.
1: Well, that's, a, that's the most important thing during Thanksgiving is being together with family. Uh, Bob, uh, there, there's a lot of crises going around, around the world, and there's a lot of um, concern that it's going to affect global supplies of product. Uh, I mean, Goya is a global company. Uh, uh, tell us, you know more about this than any of us.
7: Well, John, you know, uh, back in, in 2008, uh, there was a food crisis. You know, the food balance in the world is is very delicate. You know, the water table and, and it depends on a lot of things. We're eight billion people on the planet now. Uh, so in 08... Uh, Because of shortage of grains in in Australia and other places, uh, the prices of grains tripled. Uh, They went back down to double, but they never uh, went back to where they they started from. Uh, And this time, you know, what's happened over the last couple of years, first COVID shut down the world. Uh, You you know, it set supply chain uh, into chaos you know, I know diesel and things went up, but the freight rates uh, bringing products in went up tenfold. If you bring bringing coconut water in from Thailand or aloe vera juice from South Korea, it went from $1,800 a container to 18000 20000 And I think their steamship line made more in that one year than in the previous five to 10 years combined. Now, what's exacerbated the thing is that the, the war in, in Russia, Ukraine, which we shouldn't have been there in the first place. We basically gave them the green light by pulling out of Afghanistan. But between Russia and the Ukraine, they control 30% of the world's wheat, 20% of the world's corn, 50% of the world's fertilizer, and 2.5 million acres of, of, uh, of uh, sunflower. You have countries like India that are, because of this crisis, they're not exporting rice Mexico is not exporting a lot of things. Countries are turning inward because of shortages, they're not exporting. Northern Africa is going to face famine because the food there was 22 million tons of grains in Ukraine silos which went to ships and the ships were blocked, first the silos were blocked and the ships were blocked and they've weaponized food. So in addition to the normal delicate balance of food and consumption you add to this the weaponization of food by Russia and Ukraine and you know it, it's unfortunate that this war happened in the first place like i said we showed tremendous weakness in pulling out of afghanistan i think nato was poking putin in the eye uh, the guys a monster but you know we we you know we're going and we're doing nation building. We're changing regimes. Zelensky uh, and Ukraine, it's a shame. At the end of the day, when two elephants fight, the grass suffers. And that's what's happening. The people suffer at the end of the day because we're playing games with food and with fuel. You know, we cut off the the. Uh, the, the Keystone Pipeline Day One, the the Alaskan Pipeline. Now they're looking to do uh, to, to to refine in Venezuela heavy dirty crude and ship it in in ships with dirty uh, bunker fuel fueling it versus a pipeline which is connected right to Canada, right to Alaska. It's. It's a
2: war, you know, it's a war against American oil. John, why do you think that is? We're on the phone, by the way, with Bob Unanwe, the CEO of Goya. Why is that? It's obvious we need oil. He wants to bring in Venezuelan oil. So maybe, John, do you know why he's President Biden is against American energy?
1: Nobody really knows that. And Alaska has plenty of oil. We have a pipeline that can deliver 2 million barrels a day. We're only doing 375. We have Canadian crude that we're buying Western Canadian crude right now, $49 a barrel. Wow. Now, what is the Venezuelans have the same crude, it's a heavy crude. Mm-hmm. And that's the price. That, what are the Venezuelans going to sell it to America for? Triple. Triple that? Mm-hmm. Who knows? No.
2: You know, and, John, we, and who's we di- need
7: to invest in in refining. We don't. The U.S. doesn't have the refining capacity. And so, that's, that's, look, Bob. in Texas, 25% of our energy was windmill. And we had a freeze a year and a half, two years ago. What froze? The windmills. And we've had a billion, one of the worst disasters in Texas history. And I guess the administration doesn't care because it's a red state. But we had the whole state shut down because the windmills weren't turning the, the one the nuclear plant was under maintenance and the fossil fuel which has been you know was because we're incentivizing companies to put up windmills and they don't last they're impossible you know to maintain after 20 years they're gone and and now we're still investing we're we're investing into things that aren't necessarily uh, at the end of the day green and we're we're Declaring war on the fossil fuels the uh, diesel is a dollar to two dollars more per gallon that moves tractors for farming, it moves trucks, it moves everything, and we're declaring war
1: on that, and we're shooting ourselves in the foot a hundred percent judge, you had something to say yeah,
4: I think uh I think the problem is that, and you made a point about we need to increase our refining capacity. The problem is it's very capital intensive; it's very expensive, takes a long time, and you have an administration that's declared war on the refiners. So why would they
1: invest long term in that industry? And the problem we have in the United States, Bob, and you're you're in business, you know that if the oil companies are the enemy of Washington right now, and if the make a let's say in our refinery we have to spend a billion. To, to improve it. Well, you've got to amortize that over 10, 20 years, and you don't know who would spend a billion dollars not knowing what, what Washington is going to do.
7: Why is it that we can spend billions, trillions of dollars on a green new deal and not invest in the critical infrastructure? You can't do everything green. It doesn't work. It
2: doesn't the work. Product. The Germans found fuel. out that. That's right.
7: Exactly. And but, we're, we're willing to invest in the wrong things. We've got to invest in the future of this country and make ourselves stronger, not weaker. And the globalists are destroying this country.
1: A hundred percent. And the European community has found that out. And now they're calling nuclear energy as the new green energy. Mm. And, uh, Bob, United Way, we have to go to uh, a break, and uh, thank you for for calling in. God bless you, and keep telling the American people the truth. Thank you. God bless you, John. And buy the Goya product. That's it, Goya. Okay, uh, I tell you, the quality of Goya products is, is really, really great, and Bob United Way does a great job.
6: Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network.
2: Welcome back to the John Katz Matidis Cats at Night Show. Now on the line with us, our resident medical genius who's always got something incredible to tell us. The U.S. now approaching a record number of avian influenza outbreaks in wild birds and poultry. What does that mean for us? Dr. Mikolos, explain it all.
8: Well, what's happening is our uh, friends, the viruses that have been uh, on the planet longer than we have, and uh, we coexist with them. What happens is that sometimes uh, they get out of hand or whether we or the animal kingdom when we bunch up and we crowd up in cities or when we raise, domesticate birds and we crowd them together, viral outbreaks occur and uh, they end up killing a lot of birds. In this case, 49 million birds had to uh, either be killed or dead from the bird flu. And there is a potential for this to spread to humans, and that's why it's so important when you handle poultry, especially in the kitchen, it's always important to wash hands, use gloves, don't touch your nose or your face or your eyes, because there is potential to spread. The last time we had a big spread like this was in 2015, and now we have uh, 21 states involved, which is quite a lot. So anticipate the price of poultry is going to go up, because so many had to be, uh, Called And viruses do have intelligence and they mutate and they figure out how to grow and jump from one place to another. And one of the things we discussed in the past is viruses can uh, recognize if a cell is infected and they can hop over and find the uninfected cell. So this helps speeds up their efficiency. Another fascinating thing is, for example, with rabies, the virus makes the uh, animal have like almost a psychotic episode. So it starts to want to bite. It becomes paranoid and wants to bite other animals and people. And that actually is a way that the virus spreads more. So that's another fascinating thing. And it also makes the animals not want to drink as much. So there's more virus concentrated in the saliva for the bite. So these are all fascinating things in uh, nature, but we're seeing this spread of this avian uh, flu. And as the weather gets colder, We're going to see flu season upticking, but thank God that the coronavirus uh, strains that are out there right now have not been as lethal or uh, deadly as the ones we saw early on. And fortunately, now we have treatments, the antiviral pills, which stop all the strains of viruses. And we have targeted antibody therapies and we'll be seeing uh, more of them. Unfortunately, uh, right now, the you know, vaccines, you know, you have to stay one step ahead. They're, they're really designed for a lot of the older strains. And right now, the predominant strain is this new XXB Gryphon strain, which is basically two Omicrons got together and they formed their own new strain. So as we try to kill them, they get smarter and they continue to uh, evolve. But eventually, they learn to coexist with us, as we said before, Throughout other pandemics, they learn to become more contagious but less lethal. And in our own virus gut microbiome, we have 140,000 viruses that live with us and coexist with us. So this is what's happening in the world of uh, viruses. So uh, still take common sense precautions, good old basic things like, you know, washing your hands. If you have uh, certain pre-existing conditions, it's probably better not to go into super. Crowded and if someone has a cold or a flu, it's probably not a nice thing to go to the, you know, holiday. And, and wash
1: your hands 10 times a day.
8: Yeah, because when you touch different surfaces and then you touch your hands and eyes, that's how you uh, spread it. And also when you are sick and have a cold, simple things like if you have a cold, you dip your... uh toothbrush in a disinfectant mouthwash why because overnight the virus and bacteria are growing on the toothbrush and then you reinfect yourself the same thing with your pillowcase many times people get conjunctivitis after they have a cold or virus because the side you sleep on when you cough breathe and drool in your pillowcase that's the side you tend to get conjunctivitis so frequent washing of pillowcases helps stay healthy listen to wabc for more health. thank you
1: Thank you, Dr. Michalos, and thank you, Judge Weinberg. Thank you, Craig Eaton, and Lydia Serrani. And we all have to work together to save America. That's we right. have to save America. Things are getting critical. Mm-hmm. And uh, what do we believe in in WABC? Truth, Truth justice, and the, and the American, American way. way. God bless America. God bless.